Welcome back to the Effort of Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, we have Matt Boudreaux, the founder of Acton Academy, on the show to talk to us about, is our school system failing us as parents, as children? Talk a little bit about leading by example as parents, cheering effort, the cycle of school. And then we dive into, is college dead? And what should we be doing with those 529 plans that we all started as parents? Now, if you're not a parent out there, that's fine. I still think Matt has some extremely insightful information about entrepreneurship, about mindset. But for those parents out there, I think that if nothing else, this conversation will lead to a conversation when you get back home with your significant other to discuss what types of things maybe you should implement and should we be thinking about education a little bit differently. I really enjoyed this episode. If you enjoy it as much as I did, as always, it's super helpful for us. The podcast, leave us a rating leave us a review. I would really appreciate it. Take a screenshot, hit us up on social, and let us know what you're thinking about these episodes. Now let's dive into an incredible episode with Matt, and let's keep getting after it. Let's go. Matt, thanks for joining me. I, uh, you know, I have a vested interest, and I know you do too, of talking about ways that parents can enhance uh, the way that they, you know, raise their children. I want to try and be the best father I could be. I know you feel the same way. And you guys have a variety of things going on. I think you have an interesting vantage point, which is why I wanted to talk to you today. I think it could provide a lot of insight for parents because you have uh, Acton Academy, which is, um, which I'll, I'll have you kind of share more about, but then you also have uh, Apogee Strong, which is more of a, a, a virtual component. And you work with hundreds, if not thousands of kids on a regular basis. And I'd love to start here. Can you tell me a little bit more? And I know that we had you and Tim on the show before and we talked more about this, but can you tell me more about the Acton Academy way of thinking and how that differentiates from common education? And then I want to get into like lessons learned and things like that. Yeah, totally, man. And I'm glad to go anywhere and everywhere with this. Um, and, and you're right. Thousands thousands upon thousands of young heroes that I've gotten to work with, which means thousands upon thousands of parents too. So those are, you know, vastly intertwined, right? So, um, you know, I always, when I, when I lay this picture out for everybody, I always want to be super, super clear. So I came out of uh, conventional education, right? So I was a public school teacher, public school administrator, private school teacher, private school administrator, worked at Stanford for a long time, still work with districts and universities all over the world. So I know schools, better than anybody. So I'm how long were you in the person I'm talking systems? How long were you in the, the public school system for? Uh, about a decade, about a decade. Yeah. Uh, and then what what grades in particular did you have a you know, have experience with? So I, I worked all through K through 12. Um, oh, K wow. Yep. K through 12, both as a teacher and administrator, right? So and, and again, starting at the higher ed. So I know this game inside now. So when I talk about the differences between conventional schooling, and then what we do at Acton, um, you know, people sometimes will hear that as, well, I'm anti-teacher, I'm anti-administrator, dude, I'm so far the other way. I'm so, you know, overly supportive of those good people. I'm very much against the system, right? And so the systems are where things are different. Whereas a conventional school, you know, you've got everybody stays with uh, the, the people who are their exact same age, right? Their date of manufacture. I always say, right? You stay with them if there's somebody date of manufacture. Date of manufacture. <laughs> I've right? never heard that before. All right. And so, if somebody's younger than me, I automatically get to kind of 
look down on them. If they're older than me, I automatically have to revere them. And then, of course, there's always the ultimate authority figure, you know, the teacher who gets to decide things even like, do I get to go to the bathroom when I need to go to the bathroom, right? So you've got this weird false social structure that's set up in the first place that's not mimicked anywhere else in society. You go over to Acton Academy, you've got mixed age groups. You've got everybody having a voice. You've got uh, the, the authority of the adult in the room. The hero has the same authority, right? So what differentiates us is we, first of all, have the belief that every young person is a genius. Bar none, across the board, you are a genius. Our job is to unlock what does that look like? Jason Kalipa, there is nobody else that has the same set of experiences, knowledge-based, passion. Like nobody else has that. So my job is to unlock that from you, right? And so our system is set up in a way where young heroes create contracts, character contracts with one another. They create goals for their own individual growth. They get to drive that. It's not predicated on a grade level. It's predicated upon who do I want to be and where do I want to go? And then they take on real world challenges that have real world applications versus attempting to do the same bit of academia that everybody else is. So they're going to start real businesses every single year. And they're going to take those businesses you know, into perpetuity or they'll, or they'll create new ones every year. They're going to take on projects like maybe you've got to build a, uh, a community. You've got to build a, um, you know, a, a model city. And you've got to do part of it out of 3D printing, part of it out of cardboard, part of it out of Legos, um, and you know, part of it out of clay. And then you got to run electricity to the whole thing. And we're going to bring it into you know an entire auditorium of people together. And we're going to flip that switch, and we got to see if it all works, right? They're going to do real things. So we're just we're we're changing the game to like let's talk about experiences versus rote academia. It's so vastly different. Um, it's not even close. Now, you guys have been picking up some steam, if you ask me. Um, how many locations? So it started off with uh, your, did it, obviously it started off with one, right? Mm -hmm. And now you actually operate, own um, several here in California. Mm -hmm. But now you have licensed locations or, or partner or affiliate, whatever you want to call it, uh, across the U.S.? Is that what it looks like now? We are all over the world. So we're actually in almost 30 countries at this point. We're in 40 states at this point. We've got close to three, coming up on 300 locations. Wow. I'm just writing that down. Yeah. And now when you think about the 300 locations and how you've grown, you know, it's really interesting because ultimately you're, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic here because it's a school, mm -hmm. but it's, but it's a for-profit school, right? So how does the financially, how do those things work? when you're growing for 300 locations, is it, is it a nonprofit or is it for profit or what does that look like? Yeah, it's, it's a really different structure. And I, and I love that you come out of CrossFit because it is very, there are some similarities there. Like we, we talk about that as a network, we talk about our similarity to CrossFit. So when you license a, you know, the CrossFit name, you've got to get your L1 cert, right? And then you can go launch your CrossFit facility you have sovereignty over that facility, but you also connect with all the other CrossFit owners all over the world. And then you collaborate and you come together on the games. We're doing the same kind of thing, right? So individual owners have sovereignty over their location, 
we license the name, we license the IP, we license the systems, um, all of the unique projects and things that we all put together as a network, we license those. And then as I create something new at my campus, I just share it with everybody else. And we come together as this global network of just, um, you know, trying to trying to get better and, and a little bit of competition, but a whole lot of like, let's get all of us to be to be better in that so that's kind of how it comes together we pay so each location some may be for profit some may be non-profit depending right. on how they want to do it right and they okay. license the the you know the acton academy uh brand and 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 and, and all the ip yep 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 and, and when you think about an acton academy what is like an ideal size for a school like that i'm out of curiosity i don't know much about schools and i'm fascinated yeah. Yeah, the ideal size is somewhere in the 150 to 200 range. And there's a very specific reason for that, too. If you look socially at any kind of, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, of social research around this where you can't really have super strong, tight-knit connections with any more than about 200 people. And so we want to keep our communities to that because we want all of our students to know one another. Again, ultimately, they're the ones that are running the program, right? I always tell people the ideal day, and this really freaks people out or they think it's cliche. I always say the ideal day is that the adults don't show up, the students don't notice and nothing else changes. They still run it like a fortune 500 company, right? And that's real. And in order for that to happen though, the older students have to pour into the youngers and they all have to know each other and have relationship. So we don't want to go over about that 200 mark. Otherwise you start to, uh, to miss that community aspect. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because you talk about the parallels with CrossFit. I think there are some parallels in regards to the license model. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen some pros and cons, the license model in particular. Mm -hmm. um, pros are that, like us, we started off as a CrossFit affiliate. We started in the trenches. We tested, we developed, and then we kind of found what worked for us, and we kind of right. evolved and grew. Um, so it, it brings new things to the table because you're not saying, hey, you have to be cooker, cookie cutter, Bingo. right? And so now new ideas and concepts can come up at the same time, though, keeping quality and consistency is key. And that's been some like kind of the give and the take of that, right? Is you're not yeah. telling people exactly what to do, which leads to more creative thought, but could also right. lead to more, you know, you know, I mean, not as good a product either, right? It, it can. And that's the tough balance, man. And that's as a, you know, as a network, that's what we're looking at is like, okay, how do we, because we, you know, we, we named it Acton. Academy because Lord Acton is famous for saying uh, power corrupts, absolute power tends to corrupt. Absolutely. Right. If you've ever heard that quote. Um, so power corrupts, absolute power tends to corrupt. Absolutely. Is what he's famous for saying. And what the reason we took that is because we believe in that decentralization of power. So there is no Acton HQ, so to speak, to say, hey, follow this, follow that, follow this, follow that. Because a community in Shanghai, China is different than Santa Clara, California, which is different than Durham, North Carolina, which is different than Guatemala. So we want that sovereignty. We want that ability to adapt to what the community is. But you're right. Quality control. So how do we manage that? You know, and so that's where um, we've got kind of a for, for lack of a better term, it's kind of a governance council. We don't get paid for it. We don't get. Um, there's no benefits for it other than we work more, right? And that governance council gets to kind of travel around though and just kind of drop in and see like, how can I help? And I really want to make sure we are a, a learner-led environment. If we're really adhering to those principles of a learner-led environment 
character driven, you know, unleashing these heroes on the world. It's not this top down adult driven organization, then cool. We're going to, we're going to be okay. And we're going to kind of go with it. If we see somebody is starting to gear more towards like looking like a conventional school, we'll pull the affiliation. I, and so when you talk about the conventional school, and this is where I really wanted to talk to you about. So I think the business model of acting, I, I could talk about the business side of that for yeah. hours, right? Yeah. I, I love the business side. Yeah. But I'm, I'm really curious as a parent myself, I'm always trying to think of ways, how do I lead? Mm. How do I become a better father, right? Mm. Like for example, tomorrow I leave for, actually I'm going out to Austin, Texas and I'm taking the kids on a, on a trip just by myself. And I've never done this before. So I'm going to be going cool. away for four days, just me and the kids. Um, and that's a cool opportunity, but I'm always trying to find ways, whether it's working out with my kids in the garage, whether it's doing different things, but I'm wondering from all your experience. And I think that, you know, I see on your social media, different, um, insightful things and, and kind of opening for parents. What are you seeing as a whole, as a society, parents kind of gaps in areas where maybe we can improve and maybe small steps we could take to enhance our children's life. And I know that's like a, a super big conversation, but I just want to start the conversation. That's it. Yeah, that's a really good question, man. And and again, you know, I'm so pro teacher. I'm so pro administrator. Um, the conventional school system by design is not meant for human development. So what I always caution parents to realize are, you know, and I try to do it in these little sound, sound bites, right? And these little nuggets that just, I try to make it as, as logical a leap for people because it's, we've been so ingrained that school as it looks in a conventional sense is what is needed in order to have some modicum of success. However you define that, whether yeah. it's happiness, whether it's, you know, right. opportunity, whether it's ability, but what I'm trying to get people to realize is that specific design of conventional school was brought over. It was this Prussian model to, you know, in the industrial era to essentially get people who were smart enough to follow directions, who were definitely obedient enough to follow directions, but not someone who would, you know, you want to develop too many people that would think outside the status quo and start to see the world for the opportunities that it really has. It's really not designed for human development. It is designed to crush your spirit and to make you obedient, period. And that's why the Rockefeller model has continued to this day. That's why teachers, unions, politicians all have a vested interest in keeping it the exact same way. So what I tell parents is, you know, I, I get it. If you've got your kids in conventional school and that's the way you, I, I fully understand, look at the model of stay with my own age. I've got to bend to authority, um, a focus on a very narrow definition of what smart is right on this academia, life works in subjects, all these things that don't transfer over. And the model of that most closely resembles prison more than anything else, more than any other system in our society. School resembles prison more than absolutely anything else that we have going on. So understanding that you as a parent need to think outside of that. So if they're doing that during the day, you've got to switch that mindset when they get home. You've got to lead by example. We can't tell kids, follow your dreams, focus. You can be anything you want to. You can be anything you want to, Jason, 
but all day, every day, I want you to do the exact same thing as every other kid at the exact same time. And there's a very specific timeline for you to do that. Otherwise you're failing. So I'll, I'll pause you just for a second. So, I mean, I, you said some pretty, you know, like it's most similar to jail. Okay. So uh-huh. I see where you're going with this. Like school's been, you know, I mean, dates back, you know, years and years and years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about like bowing to authority, that was something that just stuck out in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you draw the line between bowing to authority? And I know COVID, obviously there's, that's a whole different situation. Of course. Comment. Yep. But bowing to authority in the sense of like a student accepting that their teacher is the authority mm-hmm. and recognizing that there's, there's an importance in that where at the same time, not bowing. So, so where is that balance? Because what I'm curious about is I want my kids to understand that they need to respect their, their elders. They need of to, course. Like, there, there's certain like authority figures. Like for example, this idea of, um, police officers, for example, of course, right? very simple. Hey, respect what they say. If what's going on isn't right, let's settle it up later. But at that moment, you know, just listen to what they have to say, because it's going to be better off for everybody. Right. It's yeah. kind of like the theory, right. Where do you bridge the gap between not like, you know, this authority, it, it, it's a weird dynamic. So what do you mean by that? You know, yeah, it's a weird dynamic until you get into the right. And, you know, I try to simplify it as just what's right and right and wrong. Right. Um, that's ultimately what we're talking about is, is what is the difference between uh, doing what somebody says because they're in a position of authority? And this is, you know, even like you said, your example of uh, legality versus morality, right and wrong. Um, do you do you respect the authorities? Do you respect police officers when they are telling you to do something that is immoral? Right. The Nazis followed directions. They were just doing what they were told. So it's a right and wrong thing that has to come from home. And I'm not saying you shouldn't respect your teachers and, and, and obey them. I think that's that's absolutely it. But what we have to realize is um, you've got 12 years of consistently automatically having to obey this authority who, again, you might be 17 years old and having to ask permission whether or not you can go to the bathroom. They may say yes or no, and there's an inherent distrust that's that's built there. And then the next day you graduate high school, you're 18, and you're supposed to go make a bunch of decisions for yourself. What's happening is kids are going into the workforce and they're still playing that game. They're still asking permission, right? They still got a permission-based mindset. Now you start sneaking in agendas into the system, right? So now I'm gonna tell you, um, you know, here's what your political leaning needs to be, here's what your uh, sexual leaning needs to be. Here's what your religious leaning needs to be. We can start inserting those in there and the kids are not allowed to question that because again, you can't question authority. So it comes down to the right or wrong. Uh, I never want anybody to be disrespectful, but we've got to be careful on setting our kids up foundationally to go against what a lot of parents consider the moral fabric of that family. And then it it gets exacerbated into, um, you know, the university level as well. And so that's where it really, it's the right or wrong kind of thing that is, is the tougher balance to to chat about. So, you know, my children are in fifth and second grade and Uh 
I feel like at this point, you're right. I mean, look, they're in school for, you know, from uh, 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Yep. Uh, pretty much daily, right? Yep. And um, there's a lot of, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of influence, especially sure. for children that go to daycare and that kind of stuff, which, which ours don't. But we have tried to incorporate influences from a variety of family members as well, right? So we're sure. very fortunate that we have a lot of family around. So my dad, my mom, my in-laws, my this. So there's a lot of different influences that could support that there's like, which I think is important because a child is just developing. If, if they only listen to me, well, right. they might not understand a different perspective on things. And so I'm curious for you, when you think about like the current school system, if a, if a parent is saying, okay, my kids go to traditional school. I am not prepared to go to an acting academy. I don't yeah. have one near me. You say that, you know, it's all about them leading from the front, right? Which is, I think, important, right? Yeah. Saying to yourself, I think that was a really interesting thing you're saying. Like, hey, if you're saying you could be anything you want to be, right? But but then you're stuck in the same system. So so where is, what is our next step? Where do we evolve? How do we do this as parents uh, when our kids get home from school? It's a great question, man. So um, the the parental support, especially if you're in conventional school, the parental support is is so crazy because again remember as they go up in this system they're being told to do the same thing same time as everybody else disconnected from the world and then those agendas can come in jason your kids might be racist because they're white and that's just something we've got to teach them um, as far as the agenda goes now all of a sudden you've got to battle that right that's part of the curriculum you're going to have to battle this at home so parents leading is a big deal. So I always talk to parents about a few things. One, lead by example. Again, you're not saying you can go be everything you want to be, but if I'm at home complaining about my job, complaining about my lot in life, complaining about my situation, I'm playing the victim. My kids are seeing that too. My kids are listening to me have those conversations. If I'm saying, I wish I had, I wish I could have, I wish I had started this business. I wish I had taken this chance but I'm telling them, go be all you can be. They understand that there's hypocrisy there. So leading by example with going after your best life, you continuing to grow, having that growth mindset is paramount. That's first and foremost, right? Because they're going to know if you're not, if you're not leading that life, the respect and the manners, again, automatic obedience and respect are not obedience and respect are not the same things. Understanding respect towards your 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 fellow humans um having those good manners yes sir yes ma'am no sir no ma'am um again you leading by example in that but you expecting that from them too uh is is a big deal cheering on their efforts and cheering on their failures this is another thing that i get uh that i have a beef with with school you know i i talk about this i actually posted something on this uh, the other day your kids were learning to walk and as they started taking their first steps right? What happened? They fell down. You as a parent, what did you do? You went, yay. Yes. You cheered them on and they went, oh, okay. And then they got up and they took a couple steps and they wobbled and they fell again. And you went, yes. You cheered on these failures because you understood if they kept getting that support, well, eventually they're going to learn to walk. Right. And so they have that mindset of like, okay, I keep falling down, but I'll keep getting back up because because something good's coming on the other side. Well, then they go to school at five and they're told, ah, if you get the wrong answer, well, something's wrong. Don't get the wrong answer. Don't fail. 
If you get the wrong answer all the time, then something's wrong and you've got to do it at this specific time. Otherwise, you're quote unquote behind. And it starts to mess. You have a lot of these kids who start thinking they're not smart. They're not intelligent just because some things aren't clicking at a given time. And some of these things are completely arbitrary and not even necessarily developmentally correct at that time. So parents cheering on their effort is a huge part of that and saying, hey, man, that's OK. If you didn't get this part right, you quote unquote failed at this. That's all right. Get back on the horse. Let's roll. I'm OK with that. I'm okay with, you know, grades mean very, very little. Your effort means everything. So parents leading from that point of view is a big deal. Right. So just Getting, to clarify please. that one, though, you're not opposed to, and I, I, you're not opposed to tests and right and wrong answers, A, A is B, what you're, you're opposed to kids having a fear of failure and uh you want to cheer on the effort to try and get the right answer yep. more so than the right answer itself. But you, you want the answer to be either right or wrong though. Of course. I want the answer to be, yeah, of course have the answer. Like there's a right and there's a wrong, right? To say that there's a time frame of when you've got to understand that right and wrong starts to get into muddy waters. Right. Mm -hmm. So I always say when I walk into a room and, you know, if I end up talking to you know college professors or school districts around this stuff, um, when I walk into a room, I'll ask them if anybody looked at me and went, dude, I bet that guy didn't walk until he was like 18 months old. Because I didn't. I didn't walk until I was like 18 months old. That seems late, right? A lot of kids are walking at a year old or whatever. I ended up being a, a, a relatively decent athlete. I was a 5'9 white guy that could dunk a basketball, right? I was relatively fast, relatively strong, was a, a mixed martial artist. Was I had a good athletic career, but I didn't walk until I was late. But we do that with kids in school where they go, okay, well, if you're not reading these specific words right now, or you can't do this specific, you know, uh, type math right now, well, you're behind, you're remedial, we're going to have to pull you out. And we start destroying their mindset early because they're not at this arbitrary academic standard. That's where it gets, that's part of the place that it gets super, super dangerous too, because we start destroying their mindset, which destroys their love of learning. And we do it really, really early on. We start to hammer academia super, super early. So I'm not opposed to right and wrong, but let's do it at a developmentally appropriate time. And let's give a little bit of leeway for these young heroes because, you know, they might not really hit some of these certain academic metrics until they're nine or 10, but then they cruise through everything else that you would normally do in an entire K through 12 career. And we've seen it. I've seen kids go through the entire K through 12 curriculum in three years. Yeah, it's really it's 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 an interesting dynamic because you're right. Like there could come to a point where the teacher might say, "Hey, you're not ready for the third grade because you're not you're not hitting these milestones." Um, but then developmentally, when they're working with other students in the class, I mean, I guess that's that's partly one of the reasons why you guys don't really have grade levels, right? You guys kind of. So if you so if you're a parent, and you know some things, um, you know, leading by example, right? Uh, obviously, you know, treating people with respect, uh, cheering on effort. Like, I mean, these yep. are things that are universally accepted. Like, I, I just, it's hard to, to, you know, argue like leading by example, but it's, it's easier said than done in the particular example that you said, right? Where you're saying you're like, um, you know, I tell our kids all the time, like Ava, if you want to be a doctor, you can be anything you want to be. Cause I actually yeah. believe that like in my soul. Right. Yep. Um, but now, you know, I think she sees that we're trying to do our best to, you know, do sure. but, but 
as a parent, you know, if, if you've been in a nine to five job working, you know, traditional job, maybe you came out of college, right? You followed the typical structure. Let's just say you, you went to college, you went into debt, you then came out of college, you found a job for 50, 60, 70, $80,000 a year. You then worked your way up in a corporate environment, but you've had your eyes open. You, you, you want to think a little bit differently for your children. You know, maybe you're not in a position where you can go, you know, follow your pursuits of opening up a jujitsu gym because it's just not the responsible thing to do as a parent. How do you, how do you find that balance, I guess? And what would be next steps? Example. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't look at that as, as a risk, as the risk. I get what you're saying um, because you have the priorities, right? Um, I don't look at that as the responsible uh, thing to do is, is continuing to acquiesce because then you're living in hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, in my mind, the responsible thing to do in that scenario um, would be to go, okay, so I fell into this trap. I was told, do all this, go to college, go into debt, come out, continue to pay this debt for the rest of your life. And I'm in a job that, you know, is this nine to five that I don't love to take care of the debts that I got tricked into. Well, the first thing, the most responsible thing to do is not to then recreate that scenario for your young child. Right. And that's where the, the grip of school has so many people entangled. Right. I come out and I'm doing a job that has nothing to do with this major that I took in college that I'm still paying for in my forties. And I'm not super, super happy ab about that whole thing. This entire thing was pre-planned for me and it did not work out, but gosh, and, and I don't necessarily feel equipped to educate my own child, but gosh, I'm going to put them right back through that same system. To me, that's irresponsible. To me, that's horrifying. And I was kind of on that same, I was on that same path, right? Because I did all that because I went to college because I took out the loans and I started and I had those, you know, nine to five jobs in schools. But once I made that connection, okay, well, what I'm doing here in, in school, this is something I can't do this integrity wise. I can't, I can't do this. And by the way, my kids will never do this. I worked to I left there to start the schools that I start and I was also working another full-time job doing both at the same time right and so I had the 16 17 18 19 hour days for a couple of years to make sure I could make that transition to me there was no alternative that's a really interesting um perspective that you just shared so you're saying if you're a you know adult and you, you know, you fought for years to get out of debt from school for whatever, you know, degree you got. Right. Um, and, and that was a struggle for you as, as an adult, but yet your children are, are we setting them up to go through that exact same system? Um, right. I had never thought about that. I mean, yeah. you know, my, my, my background was a little bit different. Um, I was very fortunate. I went to a junior college for two years, went to a four-year university for two, yeah. but I was able to do it, uh, fortunately, without any debt. Good. And so when I came out and opened up our business, I didn't have that loan from school yep. to have to worry about. And I went the non-conventional route where I opened a company. But so if if a if a parent is listening to this and they're saying themselves, okay, I could I could I could dig what what Matt's saying right now. I could actually articulate. I could understand that. What are their steps then as a parent? Because 
is is college not the future you think of the future what do you think i i think college is dead now you think college is dead now okay college is dead now the degree is dead now and never mind 10 years into the future so i was speaking to a group of uh of ivy league professors a couple months ago uh, brought me out to speak to them there from from uh, all the east coast ivy league schools and i said what do students get from being in your classes that they could not possibly get anywhere else and likely for free what do they get like why do i have to take professor kalipa's class because if i don't take his class i'm not going to get that educational experience anywhere else their collective answer and they were adamant about it was well, you could probably learn all of this somewhere else and for free, but you wouldn't get the degree. Okay. Are we after the illusion of learning something or are we after actually learning something? Because what most people are after is that illusion. It's that bumper sticker for the parent saying, I'm a heart, you know, I'm a Harvard mom to show other people that I'm a good parent. It's that piece of paper to theoretically say I did some stuff when most people that went through college know they didn't actually learn a whole lot. So yeah, the application of education is already dead. Companies are already saying, I don't really care if you have the degree. I want to see that you have the skill set, right? And I might still put degree required, but it's normally a filtering system. And oh, by the way, uh, my job, not just opening these schools, my job for the last seven years has been working with all the top Fortune 500 companies in the world around how to hire and retain good young talent. And they don't care if the degree is there. Yes, there's the, you know, your medical fields that that need those. Yes, that's everybody always says, well, what if you want to be a doctor? Cool. What if you want to be the 99.9% of other jobs, right? Yeah, I think we could all agree that the medical field, I think, is probably an exception. And I'd say probably legal field. There's, there's definitely some exceptions to the rule. There's uh, some exceptions to the rule. Most people don't know you can become a lawyer without uh, a law degree too. Um, there's different ways to play the game, but you're right. There are some exceptions to the rule. So you have all of that right now. Never mind 10 years into the future. We have no idea what the world looks like 10 years in the future. We have no idea what kind of jobs are there. We have no idea what kind of needs are there. We have no, we have no clue. So the thought that, well, I guess we'll just make sure every kid knows algebra by the time they're 13 so that they're going to be prepared for this uncertain future is asinine. The thought that, well, you're going to have to go and pay a hundred grand for this illusion of an education to be ready for the future when you and I are talking right now. What is this? March 15th, 2022. And I think you have about 40% of 2020 college grads in our country right now are still unemployed. So let's break this down for a quick second, because I think it's 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 a really interesting topic that we're discussing in the future of college. Um, you know, one thing that's undeniable is that college is getting more expensive yep. and it's taking longer to pay that back down. Yep. Uh, that's pretty cut and dry. Totally. I also think that companies are actually becoming more aware that the that the degree might not be as relevant 
as previously stated back in the day. Correct. Now, now, but let's 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 play devil's advocate for a second. Yep. Going to college, you know, for me, I learned most of what I use in our business from a gentleman that took me underneath his wing when I was like 16 years old in the traditional health club. And what school taught me is how to um, make a commitment, fulfill uh-huh. that commitment uh, and work in a professional atmosphere with other people like sure. capstone courses, things of that nature. So sure. how do you use, you, you use the term filtering system. I, I look at it as a filtering system to show commitment that you were able to say, Hey, I'm going to commit to this college degree and I'm going to finish what I started. Mm-hmm. How do you replace that? Can you not show commitment any other way? Real question. I, I mean, of course, I, I mean, I, can, I, you yeah, I guess, right? I mean, can you not, can you not start uh, a sport? Can you not start jujitsu and go, Hey, I'm going to stay in this until I earn my black belt. Does that not show commitment? Can I not go, um, I am going to, you know, start this business as a young person and I'm going to stick with this business for four years and track my progress and get to profitability to where I'm making some money. And now all of a sudden I'm a 16 year old, 17 year old, 18 year old that's owned a business for five years. And maybe I'm doing five figures every single year. Does that not show commitment? There's Almost anything that you can say you got during the time of college, it's possible to show and develop the other way. You talked about, um, you know, working collaboratively. Once again, going back and not not that Acton Academy is the only place to get this, but uh, the projects these young heroes are working on. When I go, okay, you guys have six weeks to build this mock city. When you guys have six weeks to uh, put on a play. Right. And 18 year olds down to the five year olds, you're all going to work together. Some of you are going to write the script. Some of you are going to act. Some of you are going to direct. Some of you are going to build the set, build the props, costumes, sell tickets. You're collaborating. Right. Every experience that we culturally say, well, college is good for. It can be easily duplicated a lot of times, much more efficiently and almost always less expensively in another fashion so let's okay let's tackle two more questions please how about the social side of going to college so you know the last couple years people have been online um i've seen it firsthand you know my my sister-in-law and brother-in-law my sister-in-law is she's at usc film school and she it's awesome right and one of the benefits to i'm just going to use this as an example there usc film school provides two really important things i think for her um, well, obviously the education on how to, you know, create movies and whatnot, which I sure. think you could probably get that elsewhere, mm-hmm. but it's the network coming out of the college to then support for a job. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you replicate the network that you're accomplishing out of college? And then how do you replicate the sh- social experiment of living in dorms, being on your own? H- how do you, how do you replicate those things before you go out in the real world mm-hmm. and, or are they not even that important? The, the, the network and the connection to other people. Yeah, I, those things are your network and your connection to other people are wildly important. Um, <laughs> far more important than most people will will give you know credence to, right? Like they're wildly important. Um, I look at my social. So I, I graduated high school at seventeen, um, and and moved out of the house and was in you know in the dorm 
uh, still at 17, right? And, and started college um, before that. I was paying for the entire thing. I never moved back home, never took a dime from my parents um, and had to work, you know, multiple jobs usually throughout college in order to, to make it work, right? Even with that, my social experience, uh, and I'm, I dare say I'm not the only one, granted this is not everybody's experience, but my social experience was um, a whole lot of a whole lot of parties, uh, a whole lot of girls. Um, I don't, I've never been a, you know, I've never had a drink of alcohol in my life. I've never done drugs in my life, but I was definitely around a whole lot. I went to Chico state, right? So I was around a whole lot of that. Um, is it a fun experience? Absolutely. Does that mimic your life experience? I would argue that it doesn't. It's the quote unquote college experience and cool, but could I have not gone to a bunch of parties and slept with a bunch of girls without paying college tuition? <laughs> I probably could have. Could I have not gotten an apartment on my own and lived on my own at 17, 18 and paid for that without the college experience? Well, of, of course I could, right? So the social development part, uh, and again, like to really prove this theory out, we'd have to take all of the people who didn't go to college and go, well, gosh, they're look, you can clearly see they're all socially defunct. They're all socially, you know, and and that's clearly not the case, right? So, you know, your social development, I would argue, you know, you're shooting for tons of parties, drugs, and and STDs isn't necessarily like setting you up for success. So, and again, that's not everybody's experience, but what I'm saying is the, the social aspect of living on your own and taking that responsibility, well, you don't need college to do that part. The network part, is another another piece of that. If I if my kids could go to college, um, you know, debt free, they were taking they were, they you know maybe they got a scholarship or whatever, and they could go get that experience and take four years off in their life, and they wanted to do that. Cool, man, I'm all for it. Like, go get it because you don't have any debt. You're taking you got four years off. I mean, essentially from responsibility. Let's not pretend we have to take a ton of responsibility in college. There's some, um, but there's not as much as if you just lived on your own and had to work and, and just kind of make things happen and maybe start a business. Um, your network would be, I, that's the only thing I would tell them to really focus on. Get your grades good enough to you know get a degree. Nobody cares if you got a degree. Most people don't even check. Most companies don't even check to see if you actually have the degree you say you have. Um, you know, I mean, if we're, if we're honest about it make be very very specific about that network pay attention to the people who are all you know what families are well connected what families are good hardworking, responsible um you know driven character driven people like cool make friends with them hey also you could do that without going to college like that's great that you get exposed to that look at the young men of apogee strong that you got to, to chat with how cool is it that all those 14 15 and 16 year old young men got to reach out and, and have a conversation with Jason Khalifa. And then how cool is it that, you know, the next week they had Tim Kennedy and the next week they had Andy Frazella and the next week they had Bedros Koulian and the next week, you know, they had Leif Babin and the next week, like talk about developing a network and none of that has anything to do with college. So again, is there, can there be a network thing for college? Of course. Can you develop that other ways, sometimes more efficiently and less expensively? Absolutely, provably so. So if you're a parent out there and you're saving in a 529 plan, right? So, 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 uh, so, you know, as a parent, right, you could put money into a, uh, 
529, which is a essentially it's a uh, it's it's a vehicle that mm-hmm. a parent can use to um, create uh, you know you, they can put money in and mm-hmm. basically they, a, a child can take it out for it to be used in some form of school right mm-hmm. traditionally it's used for college and they can take it out tax free and so if you're a parent out there and you're putting a couple thousand bucks a year from when the the kid was you know born. Mm-hmm. And now you have, let's just say, I don't know, hundred grand, 200 grand, whatever it is. Awesome. What would you say for those parents out there who are kind of like, they're kind of seeing what you're seeing that, Hey, there mm-hmm. might be a different way. What would you recommend with that hundred thousand dollars? They have in the 529 program. That's awesome, man. If you got a hundred, hundred grand for, for your kiddo and that's, that's great, man. Um, why would you not take that money and then teach that young person to, uh, invest in real estate with that and get cash flow right away. Why would we not take that hundred grand and maybe purchase a small business and have that young person who's super excited about, you know, super excited about whatever it is, baking and cooking. And there's a small bakery that comes up for sale. Why would you not buy that and give them the experience of running that business? Are we looking for a real education and real opportunity? Or are we looking for the illusion uh, of, of education by sending them to, to college with that hundred grand. Why not take that hundred grand audit your kid versus audit what society says, right? Um, society says everybody's got to go to college. Society says everybody's got to X, Y, and Z. As a parent, I look at my kids. You have two kids, Jason. So, you know, they're wildly different. There's a lot of similarities, but they're wildly different too. They've got different loves, passions, desires, abilities, strengths, weaknesses. And if you're really paying attention, you'll have to parent them slightly differently too. Yes, there's a universal uh, respect, character, responsibility, manners, all those things, you know, effort, universal. But there's specific ways that I parent each one of my three kids based on who they are. I'm taking that hundred grand and going, okay, Morgan has a love of horses, man. And so she really wants to go into that field. So as she's growing up, I'm getting her exposed to as many things as possible. And then when we've got that hundred grand sitting there, I'm going to go, okay, do, or do we have any way to invest that into your future in working with horses? If not, do we just have any way to invest that in something else? It's a real learning experience into a business, into investing. And that's great. We can get things tax free. Why don't we teach our kids how to not pay tax? I, I don't pay taxes, period. Why aren't we teaching that? Um, and I do it all legally. I'm not even in the 1040 system, right? So why don't we start working with our kids around those kind of things rather than arbitrarily throwing it in a university that's already got a billion dollar endowment? And so what if you're a parent and you know you talk about businesses? And obviously, I'm I'm pretty entrepreneurial minded. Sure. I think a lot of people that you network with are also entrepreneurial minded. Sure. I, I would say that the un, the bias towards your schools, I am at, this is just my perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Be towards parents and families who are a little bit more, um, per, I don't want to use the word progressive because I think that comes with a lot of, uh, but probably entrepreneurial minded. I, yeah. I would imagine more parents than not that go to your school have have experience in business or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that is that fair to articulate, or, or am I totally? Oh no, you're you're right. You're absolutely right. The majority of them are um, there. There's a proclivity towards entrepreneurship. What I always tell, and, and we get this a lot, right? And, and uh, people will say, "Well, you want everybody to be entrepreneurs," and I actually think 
gosh, it's probably one. I mean, it's probably one or two percent of the population that should be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, they're honestly, but I think the entrepreneurial mindset benefits everyone, uh, including anybody that wants to to work for a specific organization. My employees all have a very entrepreneurial mindset. They're very resilient. They're very self-aware. Um, they're very self-confident. They're very much looking for uh, places to contribute and and have a growth mindset of how do we get better and what is the competition doing and that entrepreneurial mindset is there right and so that's what we're that's what we're looking to develop so you know coming out with that 100 grand maybe you don't have a um, you know maybe you don't use it to buy a business and that's fine maybe you pay for a college alternative like praxis or what we're going to do with apogee u where it's you come out it's ultimately a debt-free opportunity and you take six months to do these boot camps of all these transferable skills and then you go do an apprenticeship um, at a company that you're really really excited to work for uh, at, you know in a field that you're really really excited about learning you know more about go do that you come out debt-free you still got that hundred grand to invest in other places invest into your first house invest into real estate invest into other you know into other avenues that you want to invest um, that's a far better kickstart to a to a career than throwing that at at a university and and so I'm curious you've seen children from kindergarten through 12th grade you, mm -hmm. you've seen you now have how long how long is acton how many how long have you had acton i've had uh i've had my oldest campus is i've had my five years um acton as a network we actually had our mba program uh started about 15 16 years ago and then the first k through 12 about thir 13 or 14 years ago so as a network it's yep. been around for a while you've yep. Personally, had it for five years. So I, yep. I love going off personal. Like yep. so the last five years that you've had your school. Yep. How many students have you seen come in, and like maybe they're like in first, second, third, fourth grade, mm -hmm. and then over the next five years, how many of them have you seen who had a similar interest in something, mm -hmm. and that interest stayed the same? Versus, because one of the things I'm curious yeah. about is when you go to college. Um, I was talking to my brother-in-law about this. Is that they want to bucket you? Okay, yep. so I come out of high school and they say, hey, what do you, you know, I, I went to a school called Santa Clara University yep. and they say, you know, what do you want to do? Well, I'm like, well, I kind of like business. Oh, well, what emphasis do you want to do? Well, I don't know, management. But at the time, like you're 16, 17 years old, you don't have much experience through high school. Again, you're kind of going through the plan. Yep. I guess my question is twofold. I I think I know the answer for you. Like you don't like the fact that coming out of high school, you have to kind of pick a mold. I imagine, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, well, and, but how many how many times have you seen these students really find something they care about deeply at a younger age and actually sustain it versus shifting around? Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a really it's a really good question. Um, and I don't know that I necessarily have a percentage of of how many times you see it. The majority of them do shift. Um, but Acton is built to allow for that shift. So let me explain what I'm talking about there. So you're talking about coming out, going into college, and then you're right. You've got to have, you know, what do you want to be? And we're going to put you in this bucket here. And then this is going to be your major. Right. And so I talk to young people all the time where it's, hey, what do you, you know, uh, the, 
people ask them with, I hate that question of what do you want to be when you grow up? I hate, I hate it because it does, it forces you to pigeonhole yourself into one thing. And so like there's common answers right now. You ask uh, most teenage girls right now, you ask a lot of them, uh, nursing, why? Because it's always in high demand and it pays really well. They don't know a damn thing about it. The majority of them have no clue. They don't necessarily have any desire. They're not looking at it, studying it right now. They have no idea what that actually looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. They're just parroting what they think is a good answer to that, right? They don't have any experience in that. The reason something like Acton or an alternative sort of deal, homeschool, whatever that looks like, we want them to collect experiences over academia is so that in those experiences, well, maybe they go do a job shadow. Maybe they go do apprenticeships. Maybe they go do internships. They get real world upfront, close and personal application of what does this actually look like? And you can actually make a more informed decision. And then you can shift the conversation from what do you want to be to what problems do you see in the world? What do you want to solve? What do you want to solve now? What kind of things do you want to change? Like you start shifting the mindset a little bit, but you give them experiences to draw from you don't ever have you don't have a lick of wisdom until you've done some things and you need those experiences as early as possible and most of the time you're not even getting those through college again you're doing academia and and uh, i'm as you can tell i'm very intrigued on this conversation yeah, yeah i love it if you have a child who seems to uh excel at athletics yeah and athletics primarily I, I've been trying to think about this, like unless you're turning pro at 15, which I don't, it's pretty rare in most sports. I don't even, I don't know what sports you could. Yeah. You, you're probably going to end up being in the system uh, for school. through. And I think for you, do you, you kind of like see that as a path, right? Like you were saying earlier, you said, Hey, if you get a scholarship, dude, and you can go play football somewhere, go, go do it. Awesome. Um, but what else should kids be doing or parents be thinking? Um, if their children are pursuing athletics, they're in the traditional system and they are going to go through college. What outliers do you see available to kids or for parents to provide their kids so that they can get that school and the football, whatever they're doing all good. Mm -hmm. But in addition, what else should they be looking at? Yeah, it's, it's all experiences, right? So what people ask me, what is the people ask, what is the curriculum that somebody should take a look at? Um, what is the curriculum that that we should make sure we have, whether it's through an acting, whether we're supplementing to traditional schools, whether we're homeschooling, whatever, what is the curriculum? What do kids need? Right. And what I tell them for an uncertain future, meaning uncertain, like we don't know where things are going business wise, what jobs are available, what the culture looks like. We, we have no idea. The kids need a few, a few abilities. One, they need the ability to learn whatever they want to learn when they want to learn it. So they've got to understand what learning looks like, not what listening to somebody tell, like what does learning look like? If I want to find out about X, Y, and Z, how do I find out about it? How do I supercharge that learning so I can go figure it out? Just as importantly, they need to understand how to unlearn something that is no longer relevant because that's more and more going to be something that we've all got to figure out, right? Because Right now, you know, you and I are, are speaking on a on a piece of equipment that 10 years ago, I, I mean, was was pretty much like it didn't even really exist. We've got that. I've got this iPhone right here that I do a ton of business on 12 years ago. That wasn't even a thing. Right. So 10 years from now, what are we going to be using? You got to be able to unlearn things that are no longer relevant. And then they need self-awareness and they need self-confidence. 
Self-confidence comes from doing hard things. That's one of the reasons I love sports so much is because you actually have to get an outcome. You actually have to perform in order to win. All right. So you've got to actually do hard things. You can't build real confidence without actually having done something. And self-awareness comes from experiences. So that's great. They've got the sports and they're doing all that and they're going awesome. Can they still do an internship? Can they still go volunteer somewhere? Can they still go do a job shadow? Can they still take on a a mentoring project of their own where they're helping somebody else in their community that's younger than them? Can they still work on developing um, their, their network by reaching out, taking advantage of the fact that they're a young person and reaching out to 20 CEOs that they would love to, to chat with and seeing if they can land an interview, you know, with somebody, can they still work on their sales skills? Can they work on, um, you know, can they go read books around mindset and growth mindset, like uh, supplement with those kind of things. It's about the self-awareness and the self-confidence. That's, what's going to set them up for success. Hopefully those opportunities pan out with all the sports and that's, you know, that's phenomenal. Um, but it's the mindset that you're building over everything else. So one thing I want to talk about just briefly before we close out is you said that um, you have not experienced drugs and alcohol. And I, I just want to kind of touch base yeah. on that. This is like a, I am curious. Yeah. What, what drew you to avoiding drugs and alcohol your entire life? Was that a, what was that? What was that? Yeah. Um, so my, so my father uh, actually had never was, was in the same boat. Um, and what was interesting is I remember him telling me as a, um, you know, as a, as a young man, he was telling me stories about my grandfather, my uncles and all these guys who were, were really not, uh, super good guys. They were, (laughs) they were pretty aggressive. They were pretty, um, you know, they were kind of on the wrong side of the law for the most part and how a lot of times the drinking was, you know, kind of this catalyst, right. And it kind of exacerbated it. And then I remember looking at my dad, who was a pretty freaking hard dude as it was, who was also kind of, you know, he worked in law enforcement, but really uh, always say, you know, he worked at the prisons, but he probably should have lived there. Um, He was kind of one of those guys. And he and his buddies at the prisons were kind of running the, the law enforcement gang inside, you know, and so they were some rough dudes. And I saw him get in a lot of fights in the streets and do some very shady things. Um, so we kind of had this whole, and I was a, 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 a pretty aggressive, you know, I, I had that aggression. I like to fight, which is why I got into it. Like, I just, I liked it. So I didn't want to, um, it was the integrity thing. I, for as much as I had that aggressiveness in me, I've always, um, I feel like been a, a good person. I value other human beings. I truly like other human beings. Um, and so I just didn't want to put myself in a situation where I wasn't in control of, um, you know, making those decisions. So I just, I just never touched it. I got in enough trouble with, you know, fights and girls without it. And I just never wanted to, to test it. I don't have anything against it. And if people, I mean, I literally have, I free will, man, do, do what you're going to do. I hope you make good decisions on it. Um, it just wasn't for me. Hey, fair enough, man. I appreciate that. Um, dude, I think, look, every time I talk to you, I just feel like it kind of opens up it. I like these conversations because I think that more and more of these have to happen across the kitchen table, not necessarily with their children in there, but with parents. I think parent, single parent, any parent, whoever, would be having these conversations. And 
they don't need to be like super on one side or super on the other side, but at least being open-minded enough to understand that maybe the current system isn't optimized. Sure. And maybe there's a way that we could help optimize our children's experience, or maybe they start pursuing things that you're doing, right? With Acton Academy and Apogee Strong online. But I, I just think that um, if we don't even have the conversation, you don't know what's possible. You know what I mean? That's it, man. And it's, it's, you know, I, I don't fault anybody for, you know, making decisions. I surely don't think everybody should think like me. Um, but I do have a hard time with, again, with the thousands of parents I've gotten to work with. Um, what I've found is most people don't necessarily give it thought. Again, you don't have to think like me, but think, give it a little bit of a thought because most people just fall in line with what the culture says and, and then wonder why they're living in and parenting from a place of fear and a place of trepidation and a place of um, feeling like they've got no control. And so what I always ask them to do is, is to start questioning, if that's where they're living, start questioning, what is the foundation that really made me feel this way? And can I do something better for my kids? I love what you said on the optimization, right? I, we just try to optimize to the best of our ability what we can do for our kids. You know, I, people say, well, public school is free and that works for me because we have the two. I get it, man. Um, but if I'm trying to optimize for my kids and all of a sudden McDonald's was free, three meals a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, I still wouldn't do it because it's not optimal for their health, right? And so that's what I'm always asking parents to do is go, okay, just pay attention. What is optimal? What is optimal for you guys? What do you think the optimal thing is? And, and is there a way to get closer to that ideal, you know, for you and your family and, and, and prioritize your kids enough to, to really have that conversation and to think through, have a thought exercise. Don't just fall, you know, straight in line with what you've been told. Um, there's the way we're told things work and then there's usually the way it actually works. Uh, so get as close to that as possible. I love it, man. Well, if people want to find out more um, about your mentorship program uh, through Apogee Strong, obviously just visit apogeestrong.com on the website right now. Yep. Uh, if they want to look up if an Acton Academy is near there, they can just go to what, Acton Academy? Yeah, go to actonacademy.org uh, and you can do a search function there and check out, you know, we've got, I'm helping more and more people. We've got, uh, you know, more and more entrepreneurs that uh, that we're partnering with. And I'll tell you a little bit offline because there's some things that we can't even publicly announce um, yet, but you know, we have more and more entrepreneurs joining the fray on this. And so, yeah, check out actingacademy.org, obviously apogeestrong.com. Um, and we're going to be launching Apogee U um, this, uh, this fall as well. So love it, man. Well, brother, I, I really appreciate your insight, your feedback, your uh, thought process. And um, I'm looking forward to chatting again and, and bringing forth more of the questions that I have, right? Because if I'm thinking about these things, I know other parents are too. Yes, sir. And I know we might talk like a lot about fitness on this podcast, but I also, I got two kids and I'm heavily invested in them being the best humans they could be as I imagine most parents are. So I appreciate Absolutely. the insight, man. And uh, I hope to have you on again soon and, and chat about it again. Anytime and every time, brother. I appreciate you greatly, man. Absolutely. All right, brother. Have a great day. Thank you.